0: You never seen the new guy. The new guy. Oh, with DJ Qualls. Starting yes. DJ Qualls. Yes, I have seen that movie. American cinematic legend. <laughs> Which DJ I think Qualls. is the movie that
1: I'm picturing as you keep talking about uh, stealing Harvard. Stealing Harvard.
0: Yeah, the new guy is the one where he is um, a new guy. Do you see? He just came out of the closet. No, really. DJ Qualls. Man, he's really going for that career renaissance, huh? <coughs> When's the last time anyone gave a fuck about DJ Qualls? That dude's looked like he was fucking simultaneously 13 and 48 since he was 13.
1: Well, now DJ Qualls um, is out and proud.
0: Yeah, out of a career.
1: (laughs) Cue the music. Tim took on a lot of extra meaning there. Thank you. Yeah. Like gay meaning. Just so we're, <laughs> on, the, just so we're on the same exact
0: page. I'm so fucking full of halal fighter, I feel like I can't sit upright. Like, I'm gonna yeah. do this whole time, like, just leaning. I feel like my stomach is spilling gonna, over
1: my pants, like, in a wave. I'm gonna right do,
0: now. like, a fat Joe lean.
1: <laughs> You're just gonna lean this whole time? Hunt. It's just for everybody listening with three D audio who has Dan now panning around, it's because he's You're gonna you're gonna knock something over? Shmual. Like in the mic category. Shmual.
0: I'm just gonna keep fucking around with this so this
1: can't be part of the episode. <laughs> this is all going on. Um Welcome to the Movie Blues podcast. I am Dan Lyons.
0: Dan and Dan and Um I was thinking like it might be for all of our benefits that we stop using our last names
1: oh okay so just
0: (coughs) i mean i guess it's (laughs) i guess it's fine for you since you're gonna just you don't have any put this on my resume you you don't have any job prospects
1: (laughs) (laughs) i recently told the people at my work that the most depressing moment wasn't coming to work at the family business uh per se but it was instead having to delete my resume (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> knowing that i would never need it again yeah welcome to the movie blues podcast i'm dep- dan
0: what a fucking what a goddamn privileged statement like your your most depressing moment was getting rid of the fact that you'll never have to job hunt again <laughs>
1: <laughs> thank you for putting it in that context for me i'll remind myself of how lucky i am tomorrow yeah, morning at you are 5 you
0: are the one who should watch bombshell
1: <laughs> okay. I'm going to try this one more time. Are you ready? Yes. Go ahead, pick your little fucking sound bite. I got Go it. Go ahead and find a good one. I got it. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Movie Blues Podcast. I'm Dan.
0: And I am also Dan.
1: Rest in peace, two Dan's. We hardly knew ye for having watched a three hour movie about absolutely fucking nothing. Today, we are going to be... That was nice. You're getting the timing good with it. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about one movie and one movie alone. That movie is called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> I feel like I can't laugh at them. I have to just roll on so it seems more natural, but yeah, I can't help myself. Agreed. Um, <laughs> um, so, today we're going to talk about one movie and one movie alone. It's Quentin Tarantino's... Well, that's not
0: true. We're going to talk about a bunch of Tarantino
1: movies. Quentin Tarantino's, what, ninth Ninth out of a supposed ten that he's rolling in. Um, This is his ninth film. Um, And uh, today we're going to start... Well, it depends
0: on if you count Kill Bill as one or two movies. It's either as ninth
1: or tenth. He counts them as two. Then that would make this... In the numbering, in the numbering system. Because I remember when the second one was going to come out, they teased it as, like, here's the next. Yeah, well, then
0: that would make this his tenth film despite the fact that he's talking about Star Trek being his tenth film. So, so he's, go- he's gone back to kill, referring to Kill Bill. That Star
1: film. Trek movie, the day that that happens, pigs will fucking fly out of my ass. It's yeah. never going to happen. <sighs> it would never. That would never happen. Yeah. But um, I'd like to see it happen, but it's not going to. Star Trek is bad enough on its own right now without mm-hmm. Quentin Tarantino. The new Picard series is a literal dumpster fire. I uh, could do a whole pot about that,
0: but nobody Wait, would listen to it. it. Does it star uh, Patrick Stewart? Yeah. What's that? What's that show that he was in recently where he's like a drunk newscaster? You know what I'm talking about? That one was good. That was really funny. It was funny. I don't remember. I don't remember what it was called. It wasn't funny enough for me to watch more than the first five episodes. No, I only saw like three or four. But it was really funny. But I
1: would tell somebody. Yeah, I would. I would recommend. I would recommend it highly and
0: seem smart about it.
1: So today we are doing Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Quentin Tarantino's ninth slash 10th slash, honestly, felt like 11th film <laughs> yeah, it, was, the time it, was, it was over.
0: Tarantino's 10th and 11th film. Um,
1: this movie has been critically praised um, up and down the block as being, like, uh, Quentin Tarantino's love letter to Hollywood, Quentin Tarantino's masterwork, his crowning achievement. Is and, that true? Uh, I've, I've gone people.
0: out of my way. So first, I... I saw no trailers, I knew nothing of the plot besides that it involved Charles Manson before I watched it, Mm -hmm. and I've gone out of my way to avoid all critical reception of it. I have no idea what... Well, besides the fact I saw it's been nominated for a bazillion awards.
1: uh, People loved it. Yeah, they sure did. People sure loved it. People
0: sure liked it. You know what else people loved, Dan? Uh, Godzilla, Attack of the Monsters, Dunkirk, Yeah. and Donald Trump. So we don't
1: really trust what other people think. Sometimes yeah. you got to have your own fucking opinion about things. Yeah. So before you listen to this podcast getting all hoity-toity on us about Quentin Tarantino being this genius auteur that we must bow down to, there are elements of this film that are fantastic that we will talk about. But uh, I think for both of us, it probably, without even having talked about it yet, I think it's going to be an equal experience where it's like, you had all the pieces to do something really awesome and you chose to instead film yourself masturbating for three hours um yeah Uh, yeah this is not my favorite movie um i really struggled with the pacing of this
0: movie a lot um and I can't imagine You're you're not usually One one to complain About pacing I
1: can't imagine Somebody actually Sitting down In theaters And watching this Entire movie And not feeling Fatigued at any point
0: Dude so um, The Philly Film Center Did a thing Last weekend Yes last weekend Where for 50 bucks You could go And stay there All day And watch Every Best Picture nominee
1: Or just Once Upon a Time In Hollywood Which was the same Duration
0: right well once upon <laughs> a time and i was like i was like wow that sounds like really like I was impossible like, i was like i'll go see you. Uh, and it included some other things like some other nominees so mm-hmm. like parasite was in there and stuff too cool and i was like man 50 bucks that seems like a good deal i could like that seems like a very childlike wonder thing for me to go sit in fucking the nicest movie theater in the city all fucking day and just watch movies and then i saw that once upon a time in hollywood was right smack dab in the middle yeah, that's, still,
1: that's like I, half the day, right
0: And there. I was like, "How the fuck am I going to go to the movies at eleven, and then at three p.m. start watching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, oh, oh and my. then watch two more movies?" <laughs>
1: <laughs> you have to be a sadist, yeah, to make that happen. But, um, yeah, I uh, watched this at home. I did not see this in theaters. You also watched this. I at watched home. it in the comfort of my own home. Did you watch it in one sitting? I did. I did not. I watched it uh, for about forty-eight. Minutes and seventy-five seconds, and then Rachel was like, "I cannot watch a single more minute of this movie. It's so boring. Nothing's happening."
0: I could count on one hand the amount of times in my life I've watched a movie in multiple cities Wow, I, I have a lot of those. I don't. I, well, I, they increase if the I stop. If I pause the movie and walk away, I'm not gonna come back. To my me.
1: wife will do fucked up shit like at you know, like our bedtime, hard cut nine thirty, and she'll do shit like, "Let's start a movie at nine and we'll just watch the rest of it tomorrow. Yeah, that's, that's sick like, to me. I can't do that. I've, that's
0: twisted. There's like I've spent a lot of time, and this podcast has helped me with it, like moving away from like my pretentious like film student self, of like my childhood and like my adolescence, where like I've I've like had a hard line where if you're not watching the movie in one sitting, you're disrespecting wow. the, the director. You're not watching the art as it was intended to be viewed. So blah, you're blah, not blah. into Netflix offering
1: the speed up by one and a half thing. Have you read about that? No. Oh, wow. Okay, just really quick. Um, Netflix introduced an idea that they were toying with. They're going to start testing where you can watch their content in like 0. .75 faster speed with the audio intact so that you can binge faster. And David cool, I'll, I'll,
0: I'll cancel my Netflix subscription.
1: David Fincher said basically what you're saying and, and a lot of really respected filmmakers came out and were like, if Netflix does this, we're
0: out. Yeah, that makes me sick. And then Netflix was like,
1: just kidding, never mind. Yeah. (laughs) And wheeled it back. But, like, there are, I will admit, as somebody who's currently watching every episode of Friends with my wife, that there are some (laughs) instances that I could use that.
0: Um, Sitcoms are not the same medium as film.
1: Nothing should be sped up. Even Friends, I I, want the, the hilarious comedic timing of... Oh wait! No one's
0: funny. I this. listen to my <laughs> podcast at one point five speed. What this? Not this. Wait! You, oh, you would. I you would. To, I listen. Do. I listen to podcasts oh. at one point five speed. So you're
1: saying what we're engaging in right now is not like worthy of an art form for you to not skip through? Yeah. Have you ever listened to us at that speed?
0: No, it's entirely, it's a self, this whole thing is a self-indulgent enterprise that would be taking that away from me.
1: I should listen to my Dune only. But like, if I like,
0: you know, if I don't, if I don't have to go to the office for like a week or so and I fall behind on my podcast, I'll listen to them at like one and a half speed to like, I listen to baseball, sabermetric analytic podcasts, like it's okay that I speed them up. Oh my God, I just fell asleep while you were saying that. Yeah.
1: Um, so Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is a movie that... Could have benefited from .75 greater speed just in the editing room, not like in actuality. Um, I thought there's about 40 minutes that could have been potentially shaved off of this movie in terms of focusing it uh, and giving it some sort of narrative. But if you still haven't seen this movie uh, or haven't seen the promotional materials to it, um, maybe uh, maybe we'll lead off with a trailer. I'll throw the trailer in so people can hear some of the sounds and sights of this movie. Um, and uh, enjoy. Enjoy. To my right is Bounty Law series lead and Jake Cahill himself, Rick Dalton. And to my left is Rick stunt double, Cliff Booth. So Rick, uh, explain to the audience exactly what it is a stunt double does. Actors are required to do a, a lot of dangerous stuff. Ah. Cliff here is meant to help carry the load. Is that uh, how you'd describe your job, Cliff? What, carrying his load? Yeah, it's about right.
0: my hands are registered as lethal weapons we get into a fight i accidentally kill you
1: i go to jail anybody accidentally kills anybody in a fight they go to jail it's called manslaughter I want you, want you, bring a little
0: water Bring a little wine Bring a little lemon And I'll be fine Come in here in love with me And cut! That was the best acting I've ever seen in my whole life.
1: Thank like you. Rick, <laughs> no. Oh, man, what a trailer. Yeah, what a treat. <laughs> wow. We just watched it with you guys, and we were elated. Yeah. Um, the thing about the trailer, though... How is could that be bad? They re- <laughs> they really uh, take all the meat off the bones. They're like, okay, this is, you know, specifically what the movie is going to be about. You know, Leonardo DiCaprio is a kind of washed-up, transitioning... Um, not sexually, but transitioning... Um, <laughs> actor who is is struggling to find his relevance in a town that's kind of leaving him behind um which kind of sounds <laughs> probably like what leonardo dicaprio really feels about his life at this point and then brad pitt as his stunt double uh cliff booth um and the two of them are getting into like hijinks with one another working on their respective projects we're seeing like Insights into their pasts, slight flashbacks that kind of let us in on what kind of characters they are. In some instances, like uh, with Brad Pitt, I felt as if the flashbacks, I wanted so much more of his story that like when they allude to certain things about his history, which are really scandalous, and then show it for like a second. It was effective, but at the same time, it's another part of this movie where I could have used more of something, less of something else, more of... The, the trying to figure out what would be the the way to do this movie right, in a sense, is probably pretty difficult because there's 14 plot lines and 14 different movies kind of shoved in yeah, here. You want to know how you
0: do this movie right? You just completely fucking remove the Sharon Tate plot line from completely it.
1: Completely remove the Sharon... All right. So let's, let's get into what I think the biggest, like, logical fallacy in this movie is that makes no sense to me and really pissed me off, and that's Sharon Tate's existence in the movie. I know this has been, like actually discussed to death. This is actually the criticism that most people have levied against the movie, is that Sharon Tate is kind of eye candy in it and doesn't really do anything in it, and
0: her character is kind of wasted. She but has like, no purpose other than to illustrate that we're living in an alternate timeline.
1: Yeah, my my problem with it is very similar to what you just said. And here here's the way that I look at it, is that the movie is about you know Leo and Brad Pitt doing their thing and the whole time you're seeing interludes that are Sharon Tate walking around town going to see a movie of herself yeah. and doing things that are, are entertaining because Margot Robbie is cool yeah. but uh the problem is that because of the way they changed the history of the Manson murders at the end of the film Sharon Tate is not as big of a, of a presence in it as she was in real life she in fact isn't even murdered in it um, I thought that the end of this movie was going to be Leo and Brad kind of in that situation at their house, yes. seeing the Manson murders play out. Maybe Charles Manson is there himself, just sort of like an *Inglorious Bastards*, how they put Le- put Hitler in a place that he wouldn't have been, right. just to illustrate, uh, you know, just to fuck with history and kill Hitler and do all these fun things. They were trying to do that with. Um, uh, the Manson thing, but since they changed the history and Margot Robbie as Sharon Tate doesn't get killed and isn't involved in the end game, then any other scene in the film with her yeah. is only it's extri- appreciated. It's, totally
0: extemporaneous.
1: it's only appreciated by somebody who knows who Sharon Tate is,
0: which you want to know who appreciates her. Her in this movie is Roman Polanski, and that's it. Yeah, I mean it. The focus on her... And, like, my grandparents.
1: The focus on her only makes sense if you know the story of Sharon Tate and and the Manson family.
0: No! No! Because I know the story of Sharon Tate and the Manson family. I was obsessed with that shit as a kid. Like, it doesn't fucking matter. It's totally inconsequential. But if
1: you watched the movie and never heard of Sharon Tate... Right. By the end of the film, you would not know that those murderers were going to kill her. Right. You would have just said to yourself... Who is the neighbor they've been focusing on this whole time, and yes. what is her relation? What I'm trying to but, say but, is, but
0: I I know who Sharon Tate is, and I still don't know. But felt
1: I'm saying, but you need, but you you shouldn't need foreknowledge right. in a movie, like even at any historical. You're, movie, you're anything saying anything you've that, ever seen, you're saying
0: that there was no way if you didn't already know about the Manson murders, then there's no way that you would even come out realizing that we just lived in an alternate timeline.
1: Like in Inglorious Bastards, they kill Hitler. Yeah. Everybody Everyone knows, knows that, that, didn't that that didn't happen. In a movie theater. Yes. Yeah, okay. But if you showed a random person who does not know, I mean, I'm sure. Like, for example, my wife did not know who Sheraton was. Right. And my wife doesn't know who Roman Polanski is I, either. Yeah. Because you have to be a very specific cinephile or somebody who's pretty smart at, at pop culture to know not only Roman Polanski but Sharon Tate in in this day and age it's 2020 this movie took place in 1969 right she wasn't even really a huge star back then other right. than her just relation to Roman Polanski exactly. um and and it really led me to what i think worked the least about this movie which is like why was Marilyn Manson even uh, Marilyn. Marilyn Manson <laughs> why was Charles Manson All even stars in this movie now
0: in the dope show.
1: Why did they hire an actor to play Manson to be in the movie for 30 seconds? For one seconds? second? I thought he was going to come back at the end. I and I thought that it was going to be you know like um, the way that he played with History and in Inglorious Bastards but this time it was going to be you know oh Charles Manson is really there. Yeah. And I'm picturing that Charles Manson is going to be in like a fist fight with Cliff Booth. Right. Now having said that the finale that they did present was strong. I thought. As fuck. Um,
0: You're talking about the scene in the house. Yeah, full-on
1: spoilers at this point, obviously, yeah. but the last 20 minutes of the movie leads to, as I've mentioned on the pod before, cavalcade of violence, yeah. third-act violence. I love third-act violence. Yeah, I, yeah. Um, I didn't feel it was earned. <laughs> I, I think no. that the, the tension, the tension leading to it Considering I was thought the entire spirited. time
0: I was waiting for it to happen at the next house.
1: Yeah, yeah, there was a lot of red herring, like th- things that I thought were going to happen and then didn't happen. I think the best example of that is one of the most fantastic sequences in the movie and is one of I'd say like 10 or 15 moments in this movie that were fucking amazing and if they were in a tighter movie it would have been incredible but there's a sequence where I was already basically checked out of the movie at this point but where Cliff Booth, uh, Brad Pitt drives, uh, drops a hitchhiker from the Manson family off at the ranch Um, and this long tense sequence plays out where Cliff Booth is on foot and he is infiltrating basically this ranch uh, to see if they maybe have killed the owner of the ranch who he knows from previously shooting movies on the lot Um, the tension was that Tarantino sky high like person to person tension that to the
0: point where it made me be like Wait, is Cliff Booth a real character? Like a real person in real life? Like Oh, I didn't know I didn't think that. Like there there I mean there was I was. I so just thought,
1: like, here is how Cliff Booth is gonna become intertwined with the Manson people, yeah. right? But then the ironic thing was that at the end of the movie, the Manson people tried to get Margot Robbie, but like How did they realize that um, Leonardo DiCaprio lived in that house? And they just decided to go into his house?
0: They were, like, out there with, like, their muffler was too loud. So he came out all drunk and just, like, screamed at them and was like, fucking get the fuck out of here. And they were like, that's Bounty Law. And they were were, like, 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 that's "That's that's the guy from Bounty Law. And then they had had their fucking... They're all in a bunch of acid and they're like, uh, we should kill the people who taught us violence. Like, television taught us violence. That was stupid because the The
1: Manson family it was all about race. Yeah, it was a race war yeah. that they were heading towards. Race wars, T.M. Yeah, two race, two warriors. Yeah, <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> uh, it, it was well, well, it, it was racially based, racially yeah. and so in this movie, in the course of a second, they just decide to change their entire manifesto without Charles Manson even being there. Yeah, and just decide to kill someone else.
0: This movie was like. It's like any director other than Tarantino or writer other than Tarantino who, like, isn't given the leeway that he is, that he always has, would, like, come up with this fanciful idea of, like, you know, it it feels like he was reading the Wikipedia page about the tape murders and was like, ah, wouldn't it be neat if, like, Leo and Brad Pitt were, like, somehow involved with this? But, like, man, what? Sharon Tate could have been something. What if she doesn't die? And instead, like... so All this other shit happens that distracts them and they kill someone else instead. Like, that'd be cool. And then, like, any other writer would workshop that. And they'd... Like, whoever read it would be like, this is so convoluted and stupid, like... And requires so much foreknowledge that there's just no reason to make this movie. Whereas Tarantino's just like, well, I got away with it in *Inglorious Bastards. So, like, maybe I can be even like less on the nose about it and it'll work, it'll be
1: fine speaking of, someone already tried to do that and they did a really bad job of it and exactly what you're saying is actually a piece of reality and that is that this year the movie came out called The Haunting of Sharon Tate do you know anything about this movie? no so uh, in our episode uh, that we were talking about uh, the guy who makes the big short and all that Adam McKay Yeah. there's like another kind of genre out there right now where they do history, famous history movies. It's one director uh, who did a movie called "The Murder of Nicole Brown Simpson," where they say that it's not OJ; it was a drifter. Okay. And uh, this movie, "The Haunting of Sharon Tate," starring starring uh, the girl who played Lizzie McGuire, Hillary Duff, Duff, as Sharon Tate. Um, the
0: girl who played Lizzie McGuire.
1: <laughs> yes. As if Hilary
0: Duff hasn't had a, a wide career. Has she? Yeah, she had a music career. She was a singer. Are
1: you fucking kidding me? Would you have preferred me going, uh, Duff, Duff. the singer of the song? Too Little Too Late. Oh
0: my god, I'm so glad
1: you had an answer to that. (laughs) (laughs) My dude. Um, so, uh, she plays Sharon Tate. She went to number one on Disney Radio. And in this movie, she's being Haunted. She's like seeing dark visions of Satan.
0: Haley Duff had a fire track as well.
1: In the stop. In the we'll save that for the Brink episode. That's just, like the right period of time we're looking for. You're like a shit garbage 2000s like philosopher. You're yeah, like well, a, that's You're what like happened. a You're like the keeper of bad information. Yeah, well my
0: parents got divorced in 2001 so that's oh, when I God. started getting raised by the television. Save it for the side
1: piece. Jesus. <laughs> Um, so yeah, like what you're saying is uh, What if someone sat down and said to themselves well, well, Hold on, hold
0: on, hold on, okay. real quick Say hypothetically you mm. went to Hillary Duff's Wikipedia page And you I, know there's I, the, I, there's the <laughs> overview at the top where you have that bookmarked on the ceiling? You know, it says like So-and-so is blank You know, it's like Quentin Tarantino is a director, writer, yeah. so-and-so What do you think The first sentence of Hillary Duff's Wikipedia page is Describing her career?
1: Hilary Duff is a washed-up Lizzie McGuire star.
0: Okay. <laughs> Hilary Erhard Duff is an American a- actress, businesswoman, mm. singer, songwriter, producer, and writer.
1: Listen, I'm not here to argue the merits of her uh, resume, but uh, she's most definitely a failed actress who, and, and a failed singer and probably a failed businesswoman, not knowing much about her. Um,
0: More importantly... Uh, In Lizzie McGuire, her dad was played by Robert Carradine, so that appeals to me. What? Yep.
1: Robert Carradine was Lizzie McGuire's dad? No, he wasn't.
0: Robert Carradine. Oh, wait. From Revenge of the Nerds, not to be confused with David Carradine, Carradine, who jerked himself (laughs) off to death. (laughs) Who you may know as the guy found in the closet. (laughs)
1: Having jerked himself long <laughs> to death Yeah <laughs> Anyway <laughs> dude um, So like you were saying This is an example of someone getting the idea of uh, Let's just like make an alternate history version Of Sharon Tate and that movie was like deeply pan and, and has like been considered like pretty much reprehensible. I had no um, idea that was a thing. I'll show you the rest of his filmography. He's got tons of these movies that he makes. They're I don't know what he's trying to convey to the world. It's just like, what are you doing, bro? He made a movie that literally it's about that it came out this year about Nicole Brown Simpson called and it's in theaters now, called The Murder of Nicole Brown Simpson, where they purport that OJ did not have anything to do with it and it was a drifter serial killer. Uh, and I think she's played by a really bad actress. Oh, God. I, I'm Mina, trying, Suvari. Mina, Mina Suvari. Mina Suvari. Mina st- Suvari
0: with a whopping 1.9 on, <laughs> <laughs> on, uh, on IMDb. Um,
1: anyway, uh, so you were right about that. Um, only Quentin could get away with this kind of thing. I'm um, looking at
0: this guy's other movies that he makes.
1: Yeah. So, do you, Is there uh, one oh. you want to name here? Or? Let's
0: see. We got The Amityville Murders... He directed, oh my goodness, he, no, he did not direct, but he was involved in writing The Shitty 1995 Halloween Curse of Michael Myers. That's great. Uh, The Haunting in Connecticut, that movie's bad. <laughs> um, And Bill, The Awakening, that movie's bad. Alright, welcome to David Ferran's cast.
1: <laughs> anyway, dude, um... <laughs> Did you know
0: uh, he's a Virgo. Thank God. <laughs> yeah. I got
1: that feel from him from his work.
0: His his work didn't uh, his work didn't speak for itself enough. Oh mm. wait, here we go. We got Scream, the inside story. Mm. He made a documentary about the Scream series.
1: That's reputable. Yeah. Um, Alright. So
0: we've said um, enough. I think we've said enough now. Um so I, well, well, hold on. Oh my He's God. developing a TV series entitled Crystal Lake Chronicles as a follow-up to his seven-hour-long documentary film Memories Crystal Lake of, Memories, yeah, The History of, of Friday that. the 13th. I've seen
1: some of that. It's pretty good. Is it good? If you're into that kind of thing,
0: yeah. I mean, I am into that thing, but it's seven hours long.
1: Um, so, yeah, we. Uh, I've watched a few episodes of that. They like did it in like segments. Uh, where awesome. is it? Where'd, I'd like to watch that. Um, just torn it. All right, great. What were we doing? Um, Once Upon oh, a Time in Hollywood. Sharing taint. Share, sharing taint. <laughs> sharing taint. Um, so, uh, uh, as we were saying, the sharing taint parts of the movie were pretty bad and pretty shoehorned in. And there's a lot of shots of her feet, which I want to address that up front right now, which is that as this movie took the feet thing to a level <laughs> that I was not comfortable with. Okay? Okay. Quentin Tarantino known foot fetishist totally fine right we all know that we all agree with it
0: move you big toe we all support
1: him right (laughs) here's what I don't support there is a shot in this movie of a a little girl's feet yeah so there's this actress who like honestly has one of the most poignant interesting scenes in the movie with Leo she does this whole thing where she basically like make, shows him what a real actor can do and it leads him on a quest over the course of oh, right, a misbegotten right. hour-long B-plot where he proves his worth as an actor, right. which was fascinating but belonged in a different movie. Best in a different performance time. of
0: the movie belongs to that little girl.
1: That little girl's intro is a shot of her feet up on a box. And I was like, wait, we all are fine with Quentin Tarantino
0: being a known pervert. We're good with it. I don't think it was sexualized, though, and if it wasn't a Tarantino film, you wouldn't be thinking of it that way.
1: But I know that his foot shots are sexualized. Yeah. They, they are... Look at the actresses whose feet we're looking at. Margot Robbie, Uma Thurman. Yeah. I mean, these are, like, people that we know Quentin Tarantino Uma. really wants to masturbate on or around, and I just, like... Just felt like when they showed the little girl's feet, and I was just thinking in my mind, like, ah, come on, dude. And like, some of the feet in this movie were dirty. Yeah. And some of the feet in this movie I didn't want to see. And it was just (laughs) overkill, dude. It was like every female character you have in this movie is going to put their dirty, crusty ass (laughs) feet. Like, why Sharon Tate? Why is she barefoot in a movie theater?
0: Put your shoes on! (laughs) You know what I mean? Come on girl. I know you're saying. I'm picking up what you're putting down. I, I just like couldn't
1: <laughs> preach queen. <laughs> at, at, a, at a certain point I was like this is I can like do I need smell vision to watch the rest of this fucking movie? Like this it just like made me sick. I just every scene was a new foot in this fucking movie. <laughs> I really didn't like it at all. I actually was wondering at a point I was like well why doesn't he do like some man feet? Because like we're doing kids. So like why don't just make it seem like oh I just feet feet I find interesting. No, it's like a female-centric sex thing that he has. And he had a child do it. And I guarantee you, when that man, in his infinite glory, was on set that day, framing up this child's feet for the 48th foot shot of this movie, his DP, or cinematographer, or the guy who claps the fucking thing was just like, wow, this is wrong. Yeah. And then we're not going to talk about Emphasis this. Emphasis on the DP. We're really hoping that this gets edited out. And then, since nothing was edited out, uh, it ended up in there.
0: <laughs> this is what happens when you let people have free reign. Yeah,
1: well, we've talked about this, like especially with Midsommar, that there's like these movies where the auteurs get to do whatever they want, and they don't really care about your feelings. They don't really <laughs> care about what you think a three-act structure is. I think P.T. Anderson is chief amongst the criminals of this particular art, uh, where I felt the master was kind of this like shambling mess in terms of narrative, and obviously Inherent Vice is meant to be kind of a shambling mess, but also felt really, really difficult to follow, and then obviously Phantom Thread doesn't follow by any traditional narrative or logic or sense, really. It's just is what it is. And something about these auteurs that get the idea that like they don't have a time limit they don't have a pace limit they can do whatever they want here's the thing about that when they were growing up and they were falling in love with all these movies that they're constantly paying homage to none of those movies were self-indulgent messes you know what i mean when when quentin tarantino grew up on uh california cowboy western western yeah and spaghetti westerns, those are compelling stories. Like, the the pulpy things that George Lucas based, you know, Star Wars on, that, that shit was pulpy. Like, these things were all... So the, uh, there's, like, a generation of filmmakers, I would call them, like, um, for back, lack of a better term, Durds. like, fanboy auteurs. Yeah. They're people like Kevin Smith, Robert Rodriguez is, is one of them. Um, maybe you can even say Zack Snyder is to some degree... Steven Spielberg was, J.J. Abrams is, where they, we see as film historians now basically that every wave of old filmmakers to new ones, you know, when filmmaking started, no one had a basis for anything. right And then there weren't the greats right off the bat, and these things develop over time. So then you see every generation of filmmakers after that responding to what they liked and bringing it back and like, There's been whole classes of filmmakers that do that, like Coppola and Spielberg and Scorsese, guys that brought in things that influenced them in their youth, that influenced them on the screen. They bring them back and they do them better and they do them bigger and they give them a modern spin. Whereas sometimes you have something like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where you have someone doing that, but thinking that that disqualifies them from the rules of filmmaking on top of it. Just because I'm making... You know, uh, a, a spaghetti western set in California in 1969 means I can do whatever I want. We built a block of L.A. to look exactly like 1960s. If I just want to show Brad Pitt driving in his car for 17 minutes, yeah. I'm gonna do that. And and that level of indulgence is fine. I mean, I understand why people do it, but it isn't why I go to the movies. And I'll always yeah. have that problem with. And there are movies that I rectify with, like the poster behind you of Blade Runner. That is a movie that the first time I watched it, I was like, "What? No!" And then after years of research and rewatch, and understanding, and, and five different director's cuts, you start to see, "Oh, oh, oh!" Like, okay, fine. This movie I really disliked when I watched, but in the days after it, I was thinking of all the moments in it that did affect me. That I thought were great. I think that there is plenty to love in this movie. I think that Brad Pitt is amazing in this movie. I think Leo is fine. I don't really understand certain parts of his character they're trying to convey. He had facial ticks at certain points, like he almost had Tourette's. Yeah. But they didn't really address it, and it didn't really affect much in the rest of the film. I, I was I wondering love about Leo's that
0: character in this movie.
1: I think that all the characters are great, but like what you do with them. Has got to be something compelling, like
0: it feels like Tarantino and like, ta- like PTA especially have started having like just like a self jerk off competition with their movies of mm-hmm. like how much can we get away with of just like but jerking PTA, ourselves off on film, like because like,
1: PTA shit is so much more original than Quentin. Quentin is taking directly from either history at this point or his own personal interests. Yeah. P.T.A. You don't know what he's going to do next, and that is interesting. Whereas that's how Quentin should be. Quentin should be unpredictable, but he's not at this point. After yeah. Django, Kill Bill, um, and Inglorious Bastards, there's a pattern in his later work. It's it's revenge. It's history mixed in. It's yeah. things that he was directly influenced by. Whereas Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction yeah. have elements of those things, but it's masked under plots that have great tension. With with, uh, time and framing and plotting that is very interesting. Whereas this movie, it just felt like it was shambling through the fucking desert at points. And it's sad because I think 40 minutes hacked off this movie. Like you said, and Margot Robbie was literally not even in it, it would not change anything.
0: Dude, I feel if you scrapped... Like, this movie doesn't only have B plots. It has, like, C, D, E, and F plots. Like, if you scrap... If this movie was just about the career of Leo's character and Brad Pitt's character and their dynamic as years go on, spanning from Leo being a famous TV star to becoming, like, essentially a joke of a B-movie actor... That's compelling. I found Leo's character really good. I totally bought him as the character, yeah. which I don't always do. Sure. I, I really, really liked his performance. Every time it cut away from that story, I did not give a shit at all. Like, I, I would cut 40 minutes off this movie or cut 20 minutes off this movie and make it a mo- more coherent story about those two characters. There was no reason to put it on this backdrop of history.
1: That, yeah, like, why even
0: do that? that it, it didn't service the plot at all. It did give me it a makes me great feel like...
1: pleasure as a conclusion, but...
0: Yeah, it makes me feel like there was, like, two, like another hour cut from the movie.
1: There probably was. Guarantee there was. Um, and um, Leonardo DiCaprio
0: coming out with that flamethrower at the end... Oh, my God. Fucking amazing. Yeah. But, like... That was a like that was a cavalcade of fucking violence. I enjoyed that a lot. That was my favorite Tarantino violence since Kill Bill for sure. You need to see Django.
1: Django has some wild violence in it. That's got to be your next little pet project. Okay. I may not feel like you want to do that, you know, after having seen this. But um Django is like I can't even say it's underrated, but it's fire. Like it is fire. It's not a movie like Hateful Eight. I have to give a couple apologies to. I'm like, I love this movie, but honestly, but. And see, I just
0: loved Hateful Eight like straight through. Have you watched the four and a half hour version of it? The, like the TV show yeah. version? No.
1: That was the last one
0: I watched. I see no reason to watch that because I've I've so thought the movie. Painful. I thought the movie was just like, totally great as is. I see no reason great. to watch a longer version of it.
1: It's, it just rough it's rough to watch that version of it Tim Roth just in that movie so it's hard to rate this movie I've come at a crossroads that we have to try to cross here which is how to really rate this movie or really any movie like this where it's like god it's so good in pieces I, I see
0: like I see like the Tarantino filmography there's like in like two halves there's like the great ones there's like yep. Reservoir Dog Pulp Fiction and then everything else Kill Bill <laughs> Glorious Bastards like then there's the other half Jackie Brown Fucking like I feel this movie, it you know it hit like I a, this
1: movie is very similar it, to Jackie Brown. It
0: like, hit a it hit like a Wolf of Wall Street vibe at moments, like the with some of these shots. Like I really feel like if it was just about Leo and Brad Pitt, this could this had the potential to be in the top shelf of Tarantino movies. Oh, for sure.
1: But it, he just like, decided that it just wasn't going to be that. Their
0: way. dynamic was so good and yeah.
1: believable, and why spend so much time obfuscating that? Yeah, totally. Like um, they, he Leo built disappeared for honestly. There was one stretch of the movie where for he was like gone forty for like minutes, forty minutes. Yeah, so. but then there was also after they a scene, built
0: him up in a character that I actually care about for the first time, in like I don't know how fucking long. But like then there's
1: a scene with him, him doing the film production. That that was forty minutes without Brad Pitt, right? And then I was like, ugh, god damn it! you, you know you got these guys together. Just put them together. Yeah. Which is like, that's a criticism I've heard of other movies where that's kind of the gimmick. Like Heat. People dished on Heat when it came out. Heat, Yes. Who the fuck talked shit on Heat? People dished on Heat just because it was the first time that you had Pacino and De Niro together. And their on-screen time together was like five minutes. That's more egregious than this in some some senses. But Heat is fucking amazing. I love that movie. So it's not worth comparing. See, that's like a three-hour movie. Where like you don't feel it, you don't feel that pull, and it's because it's got focus. Like you can, I want to dispel like one rumor and one thought, which is like you can make a very long movie that doesn't feel long. Hello, there will be, you know blood. what I mean? Yeah, like you can, and and there will be blood is eleven and hours long. I've
0: watched it a hundred times. There
1: will be blood is about such a dry subject, yeah, and about such on its on its face, it it seems
0: so boring. Laser but it is focus, so laser focus on that movie. Yeah, it's so it's about. It is about three fucking characters yeah. with three fire actors behind them and their dynamic over a long period of time. Like, S- dude, how, like, it, it was crazy to me. I was just thinking, I'm like, you know, there's so many movies about movies and movies about making movies, but it there's really not that many times in recent memory, like, back in the day in the Golden Age, like, post the first Golden Age of Hollywood, they were constantly making films about, like, a starlet's fall from grace. But, like, this is the first time in a long time I've seen a movie with a compelling character of, like, you know, Leo's character being, like, a famous household name TV star in the 50s, then by the 70s being just, like, a shoddy spaghetti western actor... And I that, like,
1: wasn't even what the movie was
0: about, though. And it's what it should have been about. I know. Because I was so compelled it, by his... Sa- the same way that... His um, confrontation of his own, like, career mortality, and then Brad Pitt just being that guy's stunt guy for a like, career. people talk it's about depressing the as fuck.
1: They talk about it like it is what you just said. And I did not get that from the movie. Like, I understood that they were trying to say these things about Leo, but I didn't feel them very much. Like, I just... It could have been more like, like imagine like when Scorsese me- makes a movie or like any famous gangster movie or something like that, or Wolf of Wall Street, you have a character who starts at a low point and starts achieving great status, great money and becomes this like, you know, incredible person. Then you watch The Descent.
0: Yeah.
1: And, and he, and, um, Blow does that very well. That's what and I was about to say. Goodfellas does that very well. And Casino does that very well. And this could have felt like that. Blow if, is like... If, if this was imbued with the same focus as those movies, just yeah. to tell a story about one person's transition from career to career, from success to failure, from yeah. yada, yada, yada. If they would have done it with that kind of energy, oh my God, dude. Like, it would have been one of his best.
0: I, I feel... Like... And
1: take all the Manson shit out. Just yeah. forget the Manson
0: shit. I feel like... Leo and Brad Pitt are the two greatest characters that Tarantino has come up with in a decade. Like sick yeah. and and he just they fucking both waste, incredible. wasted them. Yeah. Just, like I mean, he
1: used them for scenes that were great. They yeah. are great scenes. I mean, that that Brad climax Pitt.
0: scene with all the violence like when they when she, that woman comes flying through the back screen door and Leo's in the pool. Like I was like, fuck yeah, this is hilarious. Leo's Respond.
1: Brad Pitt is mashing that woman's yeah. face Dude. against the hearth over and over again. Leo Boy, was rock hard.
0: With one of the best, like, portraying a drunk person I've ever seen. Just, like, his, like, delayed response, like, as he <laughs> yeah. falls, as he tries yeah. to, like, haphazardly swim out of the pool. Hysterical.
1: I loved that Brad Pitt was on acid. Yeah. In, in the conclusion, yeah. but also felt like they could have mined that a little further yeah. Yeah. for tension. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the, th- the thing about uh, Quentin Tarantino that's been prevalent from the beginning of his career is that he has this crackling dialogue in a way of diverting the main plot of the movie in interesting ways and interesting subversions. I mean, Pulp Fiction is a movie of subversions. You start with characters in one place and then just everything turns sideways over and over and over again. But the thing is that you can have those conversations, you can have the buddy hangout feeling, Look at Reservoir Dogs. Like, Reservoir Dogs starts with...
0: The diner. One of
1: the longest conversations put to screen. Yeah. And then proceeds to be one of the tensest fucking movies ever fucking made. Yes. You know what I mean? Where, Tarantino where nothing
0: happens for the first hour.
1: Exactly. Tarantino could have imbued a sense of tension into this movie that just did not exist. And it came out in the scene where Cliff Booth visits uh, Spawn's ranch and... And I felt it really hard, and was like, "Oh my god, wait! I'm I'm liking this movie. I'm liking yeah, this movie." Yeah. No payoff. And then, like, years went by. Yeah. Right. And then they cut <laughs> years later, and I was yeah. like, "Oh no, what?"
0: Yeah. It was it was one of those things that I always lament about lately. With all of these upper tier directors have been seeming trying, it feels like they just put these these shots in the movie just for the sake of the shot, like which is something that I've really criticized like Wes Anderson for in his last couple movies. Whereas, like, Wes Anderson went from being one of my favorite directors to making these films that I just find boring as shit that look beautiful. Which
1: ones are we talking about here, Dan? About being boring? Yeah, which bad Wes Anderson movies? Because I dislike two or three of them, specifically.
0: Uh, Grand Budapest Hotel. Oh, I love that. I found really boring. Darjeeling Limited, I found extremely boring. Oh my god, I love that movie so much. Um what else is there? What have you found boring?
1: Moonrise Kingdom. I fucking oh, did not. With the kids? Like, yeah, I did not like that movie everybody loved that movie and I thought it was no, really bad. That's my
0: least favorite out of all of them.
1: Yeah, I thought that that movie was bad. I did not like Fantastic Mr. Fox. I
0: quite like Fantastic Mr. Fox. But
1: I love Isle of Dogs. Oh, yeah. That movie was fire. Yes.
0: Um either way, even in his movies that I love, I still feel there's always moments of shots that are there just for the sake of the shot rather than for the sake yeah, of the film. Yeah, he's a
1: visual storyteller for and a lot of it.
0: This this movie This movie is like, like pornographic. Th- that that scene that you're talking about with them on the ranch with Brad Pitt on the ranch. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like that was like Tarantino thought of this moment of all the tension of just like what is this conflict fucking Brad Pitt wants to see his old friend. These people are acting weird about the prospect of going to see his old friend. Uh-huh. There's a little house off in the distance. That's where he supposedly is. No, he can't go in there. Bam. He thought of that, and he was like, eh, that's good enough.
1: It was probably one of the major story beats he came up with right off the bat. Yeah. And then was like, surely things will happen in and around this that will keep things moving. Right. And then, I don't know at what point, I can't imagine at what point he said to himself, I'm just like not going to make this movie like the way that a person makes a movie. Yeah.
0: It feels to me like the whole, the only purpose of the Manson family subplot is to have that ultra-violence scene at the end. But, like, that could have just been any made-up characters. It didn't need to be the Manson family to have, have a fucking anything. big violence series. could have been anything. You, like, Tarantino's proven time to time again, you can have a big scene full of random characters killing each other. Like, it doesn't need to be a historically... I mean, for
1: Christ's sake, have Cliff Booth break Bruce Lee's leg and then Bruce Lee's Chinese people right, come after totally, him. Who totally, cares? Totally right. Come up with anything, but don't... You know, like they they diverted so much attention to it throughout the movie, especially Sharon Tate. Which like
0: ugh, And I gotta say Why
1: wasn't Sharon Tate in the fucking end of this movie?
0: Be I was just watching Stupid. I was watching that car in the cul de sac and watching Leo fucking come up and yell at them and I was just sitting there being like, one of those are Jones houses, one of those houses are Jones. Yeah. Thought the same thing.
1: <laughs> um Sorry, Joe. Joan. Jones um, in there just flicking her bead. <laughs> <laughs> Rolling up one of her posters that she has signed in a stack of a thousand in her house. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, would you like another frogs poster? It's like, lady, you yeah. gave him five frogs posters. He's
0: all good. Yeah, she skipped the part where he fucking he made her send him a selfie of her feet.
1: <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, Sorry, Joe. So, uh, yeah, sorry, sorry, Joan is like the, (laughs) it's like the sorry father fry of (laughs) of the movie blues podcast. Um, so, uh, let's, uh, do a little exercise quickly that may help clear up where we're going to rate this movie on our brand new movie blues season two vision board where we're collecting all of our scores. Dan did a good job filling out our scores for reboot. Uh I'm sure uh, I haven't seen my score for Sonic at this point yet, but it's probably a zero.
0: <laughs> Wait, so do you think you're going to rate Sonic ahead or below Detective Pikachu?
1: I would. I don't know what I gave Detective Pikachu, but I think a three. I don't I, don't I would guess, honestly, this is going to be a two. A two is like the lowest I can go before things start getting like, has to be like Nazi. Is War there, there any movie,
0: What is there a movie that you would call a zero that you can think of at the top of your head? Yeah. Besides, like, Birth of a Nation?
1: Y- yeah. Yeah, quite a few. Okay. Quite a few. Like what? Uh, The Descent Part 2 <laughs> okay. is, is a zero. <laughs> it is one of the most failed efforts at movie making I've ever seen. Okay. I'm just trying to get figure um, out where your scale where is. Where my scale's at is, yeah. like, you take something good and you shit all over it. Okay. You shit it. Not even, like, Last Jedi. I mean, like, you literally turn it into feces. Okay. Like, from Blade Two to Blade Trinity... That's a zero.
0: You're saying you weren't feeling Ryan Reynolds in that one? Blade Trinity
1: is so, so awful. (laughs) So very awful. Um, Blade Blade Trinity, or how Wesley Snipes began to pay his taxes back. (laughs) (laughs) Um... (laughs) There are movies that I want to give zeros, but I'm not even sure if I can. Like, Jupiter Ascending, I would like to give a zero, but, like, can't in good faith because it's, like, it had images on the screen. I don't know.
0: Had so about, have you ever time. seen Pauly Shore is Dead?
1: I'm sure I own a lot of zeros. Yeah, I
0: have seen it. It's terrible. That's, like, by far the most zero. Because <laughs> not only is it not funny, but it's uh. offensive and it looks like it was filmed on a Blackberry.
1: Um. But uh, yeah, this movie was not a zero. But we do need to locate it on the QT scale. Um, the
0: QT GG scale.
1: So let's start out uh, by looking at his filmography um, with Reservoir Dogs, his first feature debut. I gave this one an eight point seven five out of ten.
0: I was supposed to rate all of them. Yeah, I told you a thousand
1: times. I thought you said. I thought you said me. rank them no rate them oh you said oh I know them all off the top of my head so now you better get ready to I, I was them. talking
0: about the ranking that's fine Reservoir Dogs do, do we ever rank things on this podcast yeah we, this whole thing started with top 5 lists yeah and tch, we saw how that continued yeah. alright that's fine alright Reservoir Dogs what did you give it 8.75 out of 10 okay that, that's I, I would say 9 9 yeah 9
1: Pulp what's this Fiction Yes. Yeah, 10
0: One of the best movies ever made, I think. Every time I've watched it, I've watched it 30 times in my life. Every time I watch it, I notice something new about the timelines.
1: I gave it a 9.75 out of 10. Because? But you, I don't know how to defend the .25 that I...
0: You just really fucking hate uh, Chris, what's, what's Chris Roberts. I'm going to
1: attempt. <laughs> this is like a, a geek experiment. Like, can you attempt to complain about <laughs> Pulp Fiction? <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, yeah, what are your issues with Saving Private Ryan? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, it's a
1: little ham-fisted, honestly, like the end, especially with when he goes back to see his grave of all the, of all the people who died in World War II. I'm talking about Saving Private oh. right. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, wait, what the fuck? Um, uh, pulp Fiction, I can't complain about, but uh, I guess I'll give it I would give it a 10. Pulp Fiction There's is, nothing to complain about. It's the first screenplay it changed, I ever bought in It changed
0: cinema forever. Uh, it changed what people do with soundtracks.
1: It changed... It changed what people well, do with timelines. Uh, in a temporary way. Like, when, when Pulp Fiction came out, a, a hundred directors decided they were also Quentin Tarantino, yeah. and the world respectfully disagreed, because, like, all the movies... Yeah, because there are the world so can only handle animals. so many white men using the N-word. Yeah. <laughs> there are so many, uh, like, Tarantino imposters from that period of time. And you still do get them these days. Every once in a while, you see a movie and be like, ugh, that's like somebody trying to be Quentin Tarantino. <clears throat> kiss,
0: kiss, bang, bang. Whoa. Shots. Fired. I love that movie. I'm just saying oh, okay, it's very, okay. very much clearly, like... Yeah, okay, sure. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll allow that. Uh, Quentin Tarantino should do a movie with uh, Robert Downey Jr. That would be fantastic. Oh, my God, dude. Kiss, kiss, can't Kiss, kiss, bang, bang, and what's the other movie? Smoking Aces. Mm. Uh. Um, uh, Jackie Brown. Wait, what's the one? Lucky Number Eleven too. That year, I, I all know. sorts of movies like that came out that yeah. year.
1: Yeah, that's all like Tarantino garbage. Yeah, rumors. that that all
0: came off the same year.
1: And then I feel like people started ripping off Kill Bill as well. There's a lot of female centric revenge stories yeah. that are all terrible. Yeah. And then, like, Lucy Liu made, like, even 5 ripoffs of Kill Bill. Yeah. <laughs> like, her, the rest of her career was, like, making yeah, bad batter- yeah, revenge cr- movies. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Blue. Um, uh, so, that's not gonna be the episode title, okay. by the way, so don't even
0: try it. Um, <laughs>
1: Jackie Brown. Uh,
0: like, in, in terms of, like, how it's made as a movie, like, a seven, but in terms of how much I enjoy it, like, a six. Hmm.
1: Okay, I said 6.5. So that's right in the middle of there? Right in the middle of the two things you said. Ugh, we need to start disagreeing more. Yeah,
0: I'm sure we'll get there. Okay, cool.
1: Um, Kill Bill, Volume 1. This is tough, dude. Yeah. Rating Kill Bill 1 and 2, numerically against each other, tough. I'll say right now that they are both amazing. Should I? Well, There's no way to sense? really It depends. Honestly, it's subjective because one of them is clearly geared towards one kind of viewer yeah, and absolutely. one is geared towards another.
0: I was going to say since I did this wrong, should I just read my ranking since I did the ranking thing? No, I like bringing cuz I followers. have I have the kill bills are not right next to each other in my ranking, which I was surprised. We'll
1: we'll talk about that once we get to the end. You'll okay. tell me what your overall is. Okay. Um so Kill Bill one, I had a nine out of ten. Okay,
0: eight point five. Uh,
1: I think I want to just give Kill Bill two a nine out of ten also. Okay, I give.
0: Kill Bill That's 2 the
1: cheap way out. Nine. So you like two more than one. Yeah. I just can't divorce. In them In fact, from I a probably child. have
0: to have them be more than a point five way. I like Kill Bill two substantially more.
1: Really? Yeah. Substantially more?
0: Like, any time I go to watch one of them, it's uh, I go to watch the second one. Now you're losing me.
1: Just on the sole fact that Kill Bill 1's energy is off the charts.
0: I find Kill Bill to be off the charts. a little drawn out with some of the moments. It's a little... I feel like Kill Bill was... I was going to say earlier, I feel like Kill Bill was the beginning of Tarantino's really fucking jerk-off shot. That's,
1: that's Kill Bill 2. Not 1. That's how I
0: feel about
1: 1. 2 is so self-indulgent. There are shots of Uma Thurman walking down a hallway for 2 minutes. There's shots of her driving for 5 minutes. There's that movie is
0: pornographically self-indulgent as opposed to 10 minutes of her looking at her toe like
1: that was tense and unbelievable. She's trying to work herself out of paralysis. What do you like me?
0: I like 2 better. I like the violence I in it like better. I like
1: 2 better in the sense that it is a more mature film. And is more impactful and meaningful. But only having... Here's the thing. You can't divorce two from one. Not no. not only no. because they're actually technically the same movie. But also because two is reliant on the energy and action of one having been spent. If two was the first movie you saw. And then one came after it. I know that doesn't make sense. But work with me here. You'd be like one is fucking the flames. Because then you had two to like get rise it up to the like it's it's just so much more of a slower experience than than one one it's necessary to have gotten through one and then when two starts you realize very soon oh this is going to be different yeah yeah whereas if one was the first kill bill in terms of energy execution and it would be boring honestly Two only is the great movie that it is, because it's already past the point when the bride is almost killed everyone, and it's come down to a more personal story. That's why her name isn't in the first one, because, like, Quentin's, like, basically saying, like, you know, she doesn't even need to be a character in the first one, she's just vengeance. Yeah. And then in the second one, we're gonna name her, because this is really about who she is. I mean how do you divorce those two from each other Man. so I, i'm gonna rate them the same i'm gonna get originally i had kill bill two as an 8.9 and, <laughs> and and kill bill one is a
0: nine so it's like really not worth it but okay. i'm um, just gonna call kill bill kill bill an eight and kill bill two a nine
1: one and two together would be excellent i know it's been talked about
0: for years the yeah. full
1: bloody cut i don't know how we exist in the and age I know. and it hasn't happened i know but maybe we, we live in a someday. we live
0: in a world where we got a four and a half hour a hateful eight miniseries but Ugh. kill Bill the final cut hasn't fucking happened
1: inglorious bastards 10 10 yep better than reservoir dogs yes and both kill bills yeah
0: yes easily not for me okay yeah not for me <laughs> inglorious bastards is my favorite time
1: he lost me with the revisionist history stuff. I was on board all the way until the revisionist history stuff. And then I was like, why did you have to take a really original movie and do do that to it? It doesn't make sense.
0: So It got it turned
1: into a cartoon. Pic- it was a movie pic- with pic- great tension.
0: Picture to... this if you will. The setting in which I saw Inglourious Bastards. Well, you're in Israel. Close. <laughs> I was in the basement of my college's AE Pi chapter, which is the Jewish fraternity. I, I was in a room at 18 years old surrounded by about 40 Jews mm-hmm. drinking tons of alcohol and at the end when Hitler gets his fucking face blown off it was like it was like the end of a concert dude like people were fucking cheering throwing shit knocking shit over people were fucking ready to fight like it was hype
1: well that does sound like the most perfect environment to see that in but for me at home it was just like...
0: Every time I watch it, I cheer. I love it. I love watching Hitler die. I love, while the theater's on fire, like, fucking, this, like, there's this one shot of her just, like, yelling that's just so fucking harrowing. It's awesome.
1: Interesting, but I think it's a flawed movie.
0: I felt like it went, it was after, that was his first movie after the Kill Bills, right? Yes. I felt like that was a huge step back in, like, restraint. Like, Kill Bill was a very, like...
1: You thought a movie in which they blow Hitler's <laughs> face off was showing restraint. Yes. And After, it opens with, like, a massacre of Jews under a set of floorboards.
0: Yeah, but that's, like, that shot, that's a beautiful scene. Like it's, It is. It's, like, an incredibly and, shot. And also super self-indulgent. I don't and feel like that way f- at all.
1: Like, a 14-minute conversation. Which I, is full the attention ten, the and tension of, in full that? of a lot of things that did not end up in Once Upon, <laughs> Once Upon a Time in Hollywood,
0: I, Aside from... Hitler getting his face blown off. The rest of that movie is just like a movie with a great story and great characters and they great give violence. A, they I
1: they think it's a
0: 7.75. Wow, dude, Brad Pitt is, it is a consider- so fucking
1: funny. It's a considerably lesser film than Reservoir Dogs Pulp Fiction. I would say even to some extent Jackie Brown for me and, wow. uh, and both Kill Bill's definitely. Wow. Kill Bill changed my life when I saw it. The first one especially. Wow. It, it, it blew my mind. The style of Kill Bill, the soundtrack of Kill Bill, had more of an impact on me than Inglorious Bastards did. I mean, I felt like by the time he got to Inglorious Bastards, he was already kind of... That's the first one for me, where I saw it and was like, I don't fully agree with what you're doing from a writing point of view. Not that my opinion fucking matters, but in the sense that just the revisionist history stuff, I just didn't know why... He needed to cross into that zone, and and since he's done it a couple times now, I still don't know why he crosses into that zone. I mean, we just sat here across from each other talking about negatively a movie in which he shouldn't have crossed into that zone. To me, *Glorious Bastards* would have benefited for instead of Hitler being the person whose brain is getting blown out, for either Christoph Waltz to be more better positioned as the actual villain instead of like he just kind of pawns himself like off as a college, yeah. yeah.
0: In this movie, we complained about Uh, all of this revisionist history with no payoff whatsoever. Whereas the only purpose of the revisionist history in *Inglorious Bastards* is for the biggest payoff ever, which is Hitler get his fucking face blown off.
1: And I was cool with that, but like in in I was cooler with that than I was with the Manson family in this one. Yeah, but, but in if, the Manson, of
0: if if it was revisionist history that led to Charles Manson getting his face blown off, it might have been interesting. It,
1: well, <laughs> I just thought he should have been in it just dramatically. Like, they hired yeah. an actor. They he should have either been in the movie or not been in the fucking movie. <laughs> he was, like, in all the interviews for the movie, yeah. all the promo material for the Instead, movie. Instead, it
0: looked like the fucking... It was like the singer from, uh, fucking, uh, man. This would have been way funnier if I knew the name of the band that I was thinking of when I started this. What's, a uh, Name, like, a shitty hipstery band. Go on. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't know. Uh... um. Alright, never mind. He looked like some asshole. He looked like a dick. Yeah, just total dick. (laughs) He looked like a fucking asshole. And just fucking... He's in the movie for 11 seconds at most. Why, though? Yeah, he serves... Why wasn't he at the ranch? doesn't for for attention. At least for something. They can refer to them as the Manson family, and then we, intellectually, as the viewer, know that Charles Manson is driving the plot of them we don't need to see that there's a Charles Manson who like what What even happens in his scene he like has what looks like it's gonna be a conflict or no he's at a party he's at a party with Sharon Tate mm-hmm. for seven seconds about yeah and then that's it <laughs> that's it
1: Okay, so in uh... am So, Warriors
0: Bastards, the Movie Blues podcast gives a 17.75.
1: Django Unchained, which you have not seen, which is like, how have you not seen
0: a Quentin Tarantino movie, period? Um. I do know. I own it? Can I give it to you at least? That'd be great. I'd to watch, watch it. On DVD? I'd prefer to watch it on Blu ray.
1: No, I would have it on Blu ray. I just don't know if I would do. I'm nice. Have you looked
0: under D for Django? You know, I should alphabetize. What is what is this fucking system if it's not alphabetized? Oh, this
1: system... Uh, uh, the top row, we're looking at right now my Blu-ray shelf on which there's probably three to 500 fucking movies. Um, this top shelf is 3D, and then over there is 4K. Okay. These are franchises. Okay. And franchise collections. Okay. These are franchises and or franchise collections that don't really have as much or specific boxing as that. The Terminator movies, the x file movies, the Riddick movies, the Harry Potter movies, Alien vs. Predator. Down here is typically horror and sci-fi from the past 10, 15 years. On the bottom is classic, and from the past 10 or 15 years, random Blu-rays. And then these are animated series, music DVDs. I do it by theme, as, as you're starting to see. <laughs> Terrible sci-fi and horror from the 90s good shit from the 90s wait is that is that American History X over there hell yeah dog why is
0: that under terrible sci-fi
1: this is well it's next to like Fight Club it's not terrible sci-fi it's also like okay so there's really no
0: rhyme or reason to this
1: starting to seem as if that's these are high level
0: this (laughs) this is a system that only you can decipher
1: um that rack just sitting next to my computer is just kind of comic book related properties (laughs) uh, IPs animations (laughs) of sorts
0: okay uh, so is Django Unchained not there? Django Unchained
1: seems to not be there.
0: So good, not you that I'd it. be able to find it using that system. <laughs> um,
1: uh, it is. Have you not looked? There. Have you looked under
0: things where white people use the n word?
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> let me check that genre. It's right next to Amistad. Oh, yep, there it is. No, um, <laughs> um, so uh, Django Unchained. I give a nine point seven five. It has got tons of tension it has got the finest leonardo dicaprio performance in town it has got um violence that is wild blood flying 10 feet in the fucking air uh jamie fox is really intense in it um christoph waltz is fantastic in it there's a scene like all these other quentin scenes we've been talking about where the two of them are holed up inside of a bar together um and it's just an incredible conversation with an incredible payoff afterwards. And just like it's a movie again, full of very specific moments and really amazing set pieces. But the, the last third, the cavalcade of violence, as per usual, is just so much blood. Yeah, I don't it's know like what happened, happened when, when that came out like, endlessly.
0: I remember when it came out, and I remember Max being like, You got to see this movie, but like, I, I don't know what was happening in my life in college that I was just like not watching any movies, I just totally yeah. missed it.
1: Uh, it's fantastic.
0: I would um, watch okay. it if someone who asserted themselves as a DVD collector had a copy to lend me. Wow.
1: I just don't think I own it. I'm not sure if I own any of the later QT movies. I don't know if I have Inglorious Bastards, even.
0: Where's True Romance?
1: I don't have that. I used to have that on DVD, and I lost it. Where's
0: Four Rooms? <laughs> Four <laughs> Rooms, please. Um, Where's Bad Lieutenant, Port of, uh... Whatever the sequel to Bad Lieutenant is Talk about zero out of ten
1: Port of Call, New Orleans? Yeah You don't like that movie? No Are you kidding me, dude? That movie is fucking a ten out of ten What? I absolutely love that movie Starring Nicolas Cage? Yeah Why? Are you sure you've seen the same movie as me?
0: Yeah Why do you like it?
1: Oh Oh, but a Brief amount of words What do you give the first Bad
0: Lieutenant? Like a
1: Ten out of (laughs) ten They're both fucking masterpieces, honestly. Incredible. You don't think either of them are? No, I love the first one. Oh my god, I love the second one too. They're both fucking. Do amazing. Do
0: you think Boondock Saints
1: two is a ten out of ten as well? Boondock Saints is a zero All out of Saints ten. Day. That's a harkening uh, back to our zero convo. That is a zero out of ten. Um, yeah, dude. I I don't know. I don't know why we parted ways there. I mean, okay. We have talked about how we both love Nicolas Cage being insane, and this is probably the wildest he had been at least up to that point he's insane in this movie well maybe I'll give it another shot it doesn't sound like you're going to but I it's, might. it's like the crank two high voltage of Nick Cage movies at least at the time
0: I wonder if I like turned it off because I don't recall it being like that at all oh, it was unreal he's like
1: doing non-stop drugs having non-stop sex it's just classic DC's dick So it's it's Harvey Keitel. How are you going to beat that
0: dick? (laughs) With my fucking hands. With my fucking mouth. (laughs) Uh, The Hateful Eight. Talk about fucking, (laughs) talk about eliminating Jewish stereotypes. Harvey Keitel. My dude. Maybe. Uh, What do you give the Hateful Eight? Um, I give it a, a Hateful Eight. (laughs) <laughs> I did too and I did
1: not even know that I was making a pun if that is in fact a pun but yeah I mean it's good It's just gets two points off for self indulgence yeah. it, it at times is so fucking meandering especially the version that I watched of it on Netflix which was 3000 years long yeah. and took a year off my life And I, I saw it. no
0: reason to watch that I
1: mean it was great but it was like it would get to a point where I was like oh my god like, how much dialogue could you possibly write for this movie Which, you know, brings me to my last assessment, which is what's going to happen to Quentin Tarantino after this. Well, he said in most of his interviews that he's going to become a playwright and write a play. Um, However, I would argue that if you've seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood or Hateful Eight, you've already pretty much seen him write a play. I think um, both of those movies could probably be mounted in a playhouse on stage. I think Um, Hateful Eight easily could be um Hateful Eight, like is a play. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um
0: it feels like a play. Uh
1: I can see him moving more towards that uh with every movie that he makes, which is kind of unfortunate because I think that Quentin kind of forgets that he used to command a pretty tight yarn, you know what I mean, have a pretty quick like narrative structure to some of his work. I mean, in many ways pulp fiction wouldn't have been the film that it was without its editing and its tightness yeah. and its sense of time.
0: Pulp Fiction is literally like, that was like one of the first, I'll never forget the first time I saw it. Like, it was like, I was a little too young to see it. My older cousin, it was like, we were, I was up late after a night of Passover and it was like, my like, cooler cousin, like... He's like, "What do you want to watch?" And I was like, going through his movies, and I was like, "Pulp Fiction." I've heard about this. Like, it was like a movie I wouldn't have been allowed to watch. And we watched it, and I, he was like, "Don't tell your parents." And I was like, "It was like the first time it don't occurred to." Don't tell your to, parents. Yeah, it was the I first. Don't have that at the beginning. Of the yeah, answer. he was a fish kid. Don't tell your parents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was the first time it occurred to me that f- movies had to be like crafted, hmm. and like that movie is just tightly fucking crafted. Like that is an example of filmmaking as a collective craft. With sound engineering, editing, fucking the amount that you can do in post production, right? To just what is really like, if if you played that movie chronologically, it would hold no weight. It'd hold a little weight. It would hold some weight.
1: (laughs) I'm sure it would hold some weight. But that was like during a period of time when like ooh Memento, like ooh movies like
0: Memento came way later. It was during a period of time where it was like, "Ooh, let's do
1: cool things with editing." That yeah. Like blow your mind. That's during a period of time like
0: I meant it was like 6 years later.
1: Yeah, but it's from the same school of thought yeah. where you can use editing as an external conveyor of the plot and it's just very Music 90s 2000s feeling yeah. to do that. I feel like, like it would be really fun to do the same do
0: exercise with Christopher Nolan. As in, well, we'll do Tenet. What the fuck is that?
1: Christopher Nolan's new movie coming out. What's it about? Uh, (laughs) Who knows? Oh, wait, did. You saw the trailer to it, didn't you? Yeah. It's like uh, Robert Pattinson and John David Washington. They're like doing like like time moves in different directions and they're like cops and. We saw the trailer for that
0: when we saw. uh, What the fuck did we see in the theater? In 4DX? Star Wars. Oh, yeah, it was before that. So we'll do Tenet and talk about Christopher Nolan's movies. That that, sounds like a fun idea. That looks real Nolan-y.
1: And this is how we do it on the Movie Blues Podcast. We're just spawning ideas, baby. Baby! That'll not be the next episode. There's no way that's going to
0: happen, but... um, So... um, What is the deal with fucking Inception?
1: I guess it's time to rate Once Upon a Time Hollywood in this great pantheon of movies. Do you want to list your Quentin Tarantino in-order ranking? sorry ranking
0: okay so with the fact that I haven't seen jungle Chango Unchained notwithstanding I had from like do you want from the worst to best or best to worst worst to best alright so I have Once Upon a Time in Hollywood uh, followed by Jackie Brown mm-hmm. followed by Kill Bill mm-hmm. followed by Hateful Eight followed by Kill Bill 2 Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Inglorious Bastards. When you rated Inglorious I say, Bastards. I want to say above Pulp that, Fiction. I, hold on, I want to say you that, that, that if I'm rank- <laughs> if I'm ranking best films, that's not where Inglorious Bastards, but if I'm talking about my favorite films, okay. then that's the ranking that it is.
1: Let's do let's do best. Okay. So does that mean that Pulp Fiction is first?
0: If it, so if it's best, there's no fucking yeah. world in which the so glorious bastards. If it's better, best, then I'm, then I'm gonna go in best to worst. It would be Pulp Fiction, okay, okay, Reservoir Dogs, Kill Bill One. We could still be friends, okay. Kill Bill One, uh, Kill Bill Two, Hateful Eight, Jackie Brown. Once upon a
1: time. In Once upon a time in Hollywood. The problem is I'm trying to figure out which one's the worst between Jackie Brown and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And I think at the end of the day.
0: At the end of the day, I'm never going to watch either of them again.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Although, if one was, like, on TV, I would rather watch Jackie Jackie Brown. Brown. It's shorter. So I'm going to give... It's way shorter. What are you going to give numerically Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? And can we get it up on the board, please, sir?
0: It's, it's, I don't know what to rate this because within this movie exists, like, a 9 out of 10 movie. Absolutely, but but what we're, what we're pre- to choose. what we're presented with is, like...
1: The board speaketh, the yeah, board taketh away, yeah, my
0: friends. What we're presented with is, like... Like, I want to say a 7, because I still feel like there was a lot of, like, good, skilled filmmaking and performances there. Like, mm-hmm. I want to call it a 7, but, like... How can I call something a seven that I literally will never watch again? Like, there's no circumstance under which I ever watch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood again. It was so f- unless they come out with a director's cut that's an hour I'm shorter. With you, dude, I'm
1: with you all the way on what you're saying here. So, so I'm
0: I'm I'm like gonna have to reluctantly giving it give it a six point nine. With like while giving point one while while giving point one while giving Leo and Brad Pitt like nines out of ten. I bet you give Leo a ten out of ten. You fucking Leo shill. Listen up, not a Leo shill. Listen
1: up, Leonardo DiCaprio isn't fucking perfect. All right. Agreed. He kind of sucks actually. No, he's great. He kind of sucks at acting sometimes. Sometimes.
0: Like in the Aviator. Have you
1: ever seen the Aviator?
0: I have. It's awful.
1: I mean, he's not. It's not
0: even awful. Aviator is just like one of the most boring films I've ever seen he's in my life.
1: Boyish qualities I find very unconvincing when it comes to, um, project, per- like portraying himself as a tough guy.
0: Yeah, but he's really good at spinning that top in Inception, and like, I feel like he's exactly who I want on my dreidel team.
1: That's not a reason. To, <laughs> that's not official Golden Gun rating material content. Alright, alright, Dan's writing it in. Once upon a time in Hollywood. Title's on the board.
0: Okay, okay. Uh, you know I'm just gonna give it a seven. I'm gonna go back to seven.
1: You just gave such an impa- No, stop. Right. You just gave such an impassioned speech as to why this isn't a seven. And I would contend... Did you just write seven? No. I would contend that you are correct in the sense that a movie that you don't ever want to see again cannot be cannot be a seven. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. And yeah. I agree. And that's why I am like going six out of ten.
0: Even if I flipped through it through the channels and it was on, I would continue going unless yeah. it was. It like depends the on which last exact scene. Scene. Yeah, yeah yeah. And then I would promptly turn it off.
1: Okay, six out
0: of ten. That brings us to a comfortable twelve point nine. And what did Reboot get? 13.7. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. So this is why we're going to regret having yeah, the board. Yeah, but both of which featured Harley Quinn Smith. Oof. There's yeah. the
1: common thread here. Harley Quinn Smith was, uh, like, literally a puff of smoke in this movie <laughs> and was gone. You've never seen a smaller role yeah, in the movie. Yeah, she was a puff of smoke. For, she was She was the, she was she was on the, the film, poster.
0: She was the film in, uh, emblemation of her own nipples. Do you know it- <laughs> how
1: long I had to have my dick in my hand watching this movie for her to only show up? For a minute and a half, do you know how hard it is to keep hard that long? Y- yes, it's terrible. Yeah, I used to do opiates. Oh, <laughs> shout out Dan's everyone.
0: <laughs> shout out <laughs> Philadelphia. Out. <laughs> yeah,
1: shout, out. <laughs> shout out anyone who knows Dan Anden. <laughs> oh, last name. Shout out the double shout out. Fuck. <laughs> this is gonna be. This is gonna be one of those things you message me about later and go. You have to <laughs>
0: delete that. Yeah, I'm... <laughs> Are you doing it right now? <laughs> no, I'm just, uh, I gotta, like, where the fuck is it? Uh, there's, like, I I had, like, a, just for, like, like, a little beep for cursing.
1: Aw. Oh. oh, we could have used that a few times. Yeah.
0: This
1: is this, like, our Halloween? Our, our Halloween uh, transition? Our exorcism. Oh, Exorcist. Bad call. Bad call. My first bad call of the season. Perfect. Um. (laughs) Stop. (laughs) Um, So, that being said, uh, I think we're going to wrap this one up. I think we've talked... Uh-oh. Uh-oh, folks. It's the government. They're they're telling us we have to shut the pod down. Yeah. Uh, Let's go hide under the
0: floorboards. Yeah, let's go hide under the floorboards. Usually that Um. works well when government officials are coming by. Oof.
1: Have you learned nothing from history? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So uh, technically our next episode with you guys is going to be our Stephen Kang, Los Esputacular Dos. Every preview episode I've said today, you look so confused. That's going to be next. It's not
0: going to be Sonic. Oh, Sonic already happened. Stop
1: it. I'm going to have to edit all this out. <laughs> you are you fucked every single time I've done it today. You fucked it up. Instead of just letting me roll with it, I know the order of the episodes. I've thought about you this for give months. Me f- give me a map. For months. Give me the map, Scott. Oh, give me the map, God. Scott. I'm going to just edit all this out. Um, nah. Our next episode is going to be Stephen Kang's Los Esputacular Doce, yeah, homie. Yeah, um, that's what you should edit out. <laughs> Stephen King, Doll's Food doll. Um Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, mm, and, um, we will. Luke, through...
0: Luke Perry died for this episode. Wait, wait. Who was Luke Perry in this movie? Uh, I don't know. I think he's like one of... Who was he? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Who the fuck
1: was he? Because I've heard now ten times that it's his final film. Did not see him in the movie. He's not
0: there. Um, I'm working on it. Kill... This was nominated for the Palm d'Or? Yeah. <laughs> what do you say, Dan? Who was he? He was, uh, like, one of the fucking other actors in, uh, in, like, the fucking cowboy show. He was in the movie for what? Four seconds. Four seconds? Yeah. <sighs> God. Also, oh, fucking, this movie had a brief moment featuring, uh... Josh t- Duhamel? Everyone was in this movie for a second. Timothy fucking Olafantastic.
1: Oh, that's who I thought Josh Duhamel was. Oh. Oh wait, yeah, Timothy the Oliphant. Oliphantastic. He's good. I like
0: him. He's got strong
1: teeth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. With that being said, catch us next week or next month. Yeah, uh, who knows? Before our uh, Stephen King espectacular.
0: Espectacular. <laughs> <laughs> that one's that one's staying in.
1: <laughs> that like almost turned a little halal. <laughs> You're like espectacular. <laughs> Sorry, John. Ah, (laughs) See you later, baby. (laughs) Baby!